January 4, 2011. It's that will be a decade in uh, three more months, Hans. What do you think about that? Wow, yeah, there was a gap in between, but a decade. Decade right. of shows together. Pretty incredible, huh? So uh, I also wanted... What's that? Oh, good. I was just going to say I wanted to thank uh, people for their support and donations. Uh, Marty Gish just made a donation. Also, Adam, Lorena, Demetrius, Lee, Aaron, Devin, the Dashing Rogue, and uh, Mickey. Mickey is who sent us the uh, video, Music Theory and White Supremacy, some of which we may uh, go into this evening. So thank you to uh, Mickey for sending that. And uh, wow, so I haven't started a show this late in a a while. I'm usually right at 5 o'clock. I've thought about switching it to 6, but uh, you look like you're a little bit tired rushing around today. Yeah, I literally just walked in the door. And uh, sat down, you know, so looks like traffic is back up to kind of earlier levels. But, yeah. Well, you know, early uh, early Gray says he heard that being punctual is racist. So, you know, you're not supposed to strive to do well anymore. It's you, uh, Otherwise, that's white privilege. Well, I was actually right on time based on the uh, time I gave you. So, uh, right. Well, yeah. You know, and I, I uh, lowering, go ahead. It's lower expectations. Just say, I'll come within a one hour window. I may be half an hour early or half an hour late. And then therefore, you know, there's no tension. Yeah. Right. You know? Then you can just show up. We can all just stroll along and take it easy. So, uh, well, the last time you were on, we were discussing, uh, uh, War of the Worlds goes viral. That was back in uh, April already, if you can believe that. So almost six months ago since you were on last. Yeah, it's been a, kind of a wild ride here the past six months. And, uh, you know, it's continuing. But uh, I like the fact, you know, I didn't really watch that that video. But, I you know, I, I skimmed through here and there to check it out. But I thought it might, you know, it might be nice to talk about something else because, we talk about the current affairs. I think we're all kind of enmeshed in them in various ways. So sometimes it's good to kind of take, take a step back and just, uh, you know, forget about it, man. You know, I agree. You know, all of the, uh, well, you know, we've spent so much time trying to expose social engineering and mind control and things like that for the last decade. And then, and then just to see everybody just, dive right into it and buy it all hook, line, and sinker is, sinker is kind of uh, disheartening, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, well, it, it, it definitely demonstrates that the, the power of state and non-state actors, right, so that, or quasi-state actors is truly uh, international, it's global. So, you know, it looks like you could put forth almost anything if you're, you know, you're part of the global cabal mesh network and just run it simultaneously. So we have, and and perhaps maybe we can talk about this another time, but we really have an unfolding, a sequence of events that, you know, the the roots of these obviously go back further. But to me, I think this whole sequence starts with the Notre Dame fire 
continuing on, you know, we have that like Madonna video with the people wearing gas masks. If you remember that, right? The uh, Euro, Eurovision. Yeah. Song yeah well, we, we talked about that. Yep. And now here we are. Right. So, well, and, and then, uh, you know, of course, Lloyd and I and a few others did 27 shows on Islam and whatnot. And you can't help but think of the mask as a burqa. And then you've got everybody running around mask debating about their face diapers and all. So, mm, mask, debating. <laughs> mask debating. Yeah, my uh, mom just sent me an interesting uh, article where they actually put the uh, M95 masks on and they study them, uh, you know, with uh, infrared lighting or whatever and show how much the. Uh, the masks leak and all, and it's pretty bad. I mean, the masks pretty much do nothing as far as uh, viruses and all go. It's it's kind of a, a joke. I was just looking for that uh, email from dear old mom, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it gets to the point of ridiculous. So, have you been a good professor wearing your mask at school for everybody? <laughs> Well, you know, most things are now virtual, right? And this whole, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit here. But yeah, this whole thing, you know, you see so many agendas unfolding in Southampton Idiot. And one of them is the the artificial parent, right? You have the uh, development of schools being done from home in front of your computer with an AI tutor, right? And the AI tutor. And then you have, of course, all of your... Um, you know, monitoring systems. And then, you know, they even want to monitor, say, emotions. Okay, you can get stuff from speech patterns, you know. Um, yeah, I, I did a, a couple of shows with John Kleisick on all of this uh, a few months yeah. ago as well. But uh, but you know what? I, I, I decided I wasn't going to get into that. At least Uh-oh. I'm going to get into it again. So I just want to go into this this concept here. Okay. Um, I'll just dive in unless we could we could do a little more preamble. That's fine. That's fine. Let's dig in. Dive in. Okay. No. Somebody says good. your audio is a little low. Give me a sound check real quick. Okay, test one, two. Test one, two. Test. I could probably come closer. Yeah, I can crank you up a little bit too there. Give me another sound check. Hello, test one, two. Test one, two. Test. Test one, two. All right. Hello. I brought you up a little bit. Let me lower mine down too. So since my face is right in the mic. So there we go. That should I, help. I can boost my input volume, but I didn't want to uh, clip or anything. So, I mean, you want me to come up a little bit more? Yeah, people say you sound better when you're closer there. So I'm trying to lower mine a little bit just to uh, help even it up a bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, I may have to. I got the new Mac. My laptop finally crapped out. So it's uh, just to use like my normal audio interface, I have to use... It's like a whole str- uh, string of different adapters, and I thought, you know what? It's uh, we're just gonna go with the new, the new high tech speakers here on the, uh, on the Mac. But, um, but yeah. yeah, oh, you're not wearing headphones tonight too, so but that's all right. No. Yeah, no, I've got like I said, I have to transfer. I think I got to buy a new interface, um, which is, you know, it's the Thunderbolt three. So it's you know they're like really expensive, you know, just for your basic, you know, two channels, but. Whatever, you know, we're as long as I'm audible, I'm here in the, you know, in the internet, back in the zone, man. I feel like I'm surrounded by screaming fans with their lighters up, 
the roar of the crowd. Yeah, and well, that, you know, they're all they're all in there. Let's see them all. Just bring them all up. Everyone can say hi. You can do that, right? You can take <laughs> have everyone say hi at the same time. That always goes really badly. That well, it's it's interesting cacophony, but uh, but anyways, yeah. So the, the the video that was sent and sort of a topic, um, and and I again I as a caveat, I didn't really delve into if there's a lot of stuff saying music theory is racist, this and that. I just kind of looked, I glanced at the video. I thought it'd be a good topic because it does tie into a lot, one aspect of current events and, and processes that have been going on for quite a long time. So um, just the question, is music theory racist? I mean, you could say is Al Gore racist? I don't know. Is music theory? So music theory has its own attitude music th you know it was music theory a living entity you know like hey i'm music theory so <laughs> you know, it. yeah. oh uh, wow so it's it, it's you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a non set it's uh what would that be a non sequitur equivocation they're applying qualities of people onto a theory and then trying to say that the theory is what the people are yeah well it's a personification right, right. Um, you know, and so you know, we just kind of break the question apart. I'll do that just for in the beginning, because I think it's important to see how just our language, how we perceive what things are, even one of the basic properties of perception and of language is to distinguish between entities, right? You need to be able to distinguish between entities. This is a pencil, you know, this is, um, this is a bong. Yeah. <laughs> what if i what if i just lit up a bong right now it would just it's all been a lie i've been high the whole time yon <laughs> no but uh but basically so we want to distinguish between entities and certain qualities so language you know we look at how language is used and how questions are framed so then we go to the next term well i'll get into music and theory a bit later but racist right so actually the term racist is another word that is not really a clear term, right? It's like a, it's like a football game with movable goal goalposts, right? So right. Maybe, maybe, and that's a great idea. If you have someone that's not quite as fast, you can like move, move the, you know, knock 10 yards off the finish line. But if you're, if you're, yeah, but if you're faster, aren't you a racist? No, <laughs> you're not. I don't think. I think that's not one of the qualities. Um, well, but but, it, it, but in socialism, everybody gets a medal just for uh, participating. It's not for doing good. Well, you've won. I mean, as soon as you get out of bed in the morning, you've won life. You're just well, like, right. You you deserve just because you exist, not because you've actually done anything. Yeah. Well, that, I, I have a, think of a lot of things I deserve. Like I want a big personal sauna. You know, with on staff masseuses, I you know maybe I can get that. You know, it's you get anything you want, right? But the term racist is actually relatively a new word. Um, so you know, primarily with uh, Trotsky, and and I won't get into the whole origin of the term, but you have that ist, right? Ist, misogynist, this, that. You know, so the racist, you know, again, it, it has sort of fluid and fuck functionally uh ideologically driven boundaries so it's not really a clear term um i think essentially though if we want to you know give people the benefit of the doubt um there's two terms that would go into racist that make sense one is 
racial prejudice, okay? So this is different from another neologism, which is discrimination, right? Um, so racism and discrimination kind of go hand in hand because they don't really have clearly defined meanings, right? You know, you discriminate. Well, I discriminate between hot and cold. If I have a scalding hot shower and I don't discriminate and I get burned, that's because I didn't discriminate between hot and cold water, right? <laughs> so, so we have to, you know, but uh, prejudice, on the other hand, which is an actual term, so race prejudice is someone that, um, that, that thinks, okay, I think, you know, Mexican Bob is lazy because all Mexicans are lazy. So, which actually probably isn't true, right? These guys work like crazy, you know, they do a bunch of Coke and they're like, just working like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but see, there you go. Now I'm, now I'm in trouble. No, I'm just showing now you're the, making stereotypes, right? Well, no, but that, that, that's a, that's race. It's an example of prejudice, right? Uh, all white people are racist. Well, that's, that's a type of race prejudice, right? So you're ascribing a global quality to, to a group of people and that's prejudice, right? So you're prejudiced against, you know, whatever, um, you know, I'm prejudiced against mosquitoes, um, <laughs> but you know, I don't like being bitten, but uh, and the other term is racialist, right? Which is an earlier term and racialist is a clearly defined term as well. And a racialist believes that, well, first of all, that their particular race that they're part of, that they, um, you know, uh, consider themselves to be a member of this definition or category is is a deserves to have a some boundaries some protective measures about it and racialists can also go into the concept that this particular race is superior okay so you know i could say the white race is superior i could say the mexican race is superior whatever um and i could say you know so that's racialist so racialist yeah. There's a, you know, that's actually a term that means something. Okay. Um, so racist sort of combines elements of these two things with all kinds of other random elements, right? So we have a word that's very, very elastic, right? That can be applied. It's kind of like a silly putty. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I wanted to bring up, and by the way, thanks, uh, Mr. Winners for the 44 dollars and 44 cent donation on the backup channel many thanks he says he's not on the primary channel tonight because he's uh, social distancing so uh but uh you know what is a race you know and like you said it's like silly putty you know but uh so the act of running a race like you know so if you're in the 100 yard dash i guess you're a racist well you know this we have like you know eugenics uh, movement, right? And we also have, um, you know, sometimes something isn't defined until it becomes in contact with what it is not, right? So there may be one word, for example, if you're a member of a tribe, say if you're a Viking or something, there'll be a, a different words for different groups of people. Um, and, and generally speaking, the community itself or nation will tend to, you know, um, have its own sort of Im embedded protocols for basically for breeding or for, you know, pair, human pair bonding. Yeah, uh, well, a, a group of persons, animals, or plants connected by common descent or origin, the offspring or prosperity of a person, a set of children or descendants. Yeah, yeah. And so the one of the really negative connotations of the term racist is, of course, eugenics, which is, 
well, hey, we have our course. That's a whole nother topic. But uh, Bill Gates is, uh, you know, connected with Margaret Sanger, or at least his father. Yep. William Henry Gates, the fourth. Or yep. Whatever, yeah. Putting putting uh, Planned Parenthood centers in black neighborhoods to wipe them out. And I've read uh, the letters of Margaret Sanger and Julian Huxley at uh, Princeton. Yeah. And, you know, and eugenics can also just be like, well, um, you know, there's a natural thing of, well, I would like to marry, you know, a hot Nordic blonde, athletic, <laughs> intelligent blonde lady, because I don't know, we have that in common and I happen to be attracted to that. So that's an example of, in a certain way, it's a type of eugenics in that there's a choice and there's certain categories or, you know, even if, uh, say a certain social class, um, the, uh, the former wasp, uh, social, uh, class is still around, but no longer in the, the positions of power as once before. But that, that's an example of where if you're in elite circles, you're probably going to marry someone from a similar standard. You're probably not going to go marry the, you know, the guy that like cleans the donkeys in the stable. You, maybe you will, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but that's an example of where, that's that is a type of eugenics you could say in terms of controlling dissent or whatever. Okay, um, so that's just a little bit. So we look we have a little bit of a spurious term. You know, we could go into this whole idea of racism, which we will, but it's not a logically consistent term, I don't think. So that's that's uh, that's one thing that is important. But um, so if we look at even um, is music theory. Um, so the real question, let's just refrain or refine the question. Is music theory a property of inherently intrinsic and inherent to European culture with the added footnote, European culture, white culture is always racist? So that's the actual question. Is music theory a property inherent to racist European culture? That's or whatever. So that is actually what they're asking. Well, right? and you start with a premise, you know, is it inherent to racist European culture? So you start with a premise that European culture is by definition racist. If you go to, but you know, it's, you know, and it's like this white privilege thing, it, no matter what culture you're in, if you're in India and you've been to India many times, Indians in India are going to have Indian privilege. If you're in Mexico, Latinos are going to have Mexican privilege. Privilege. If you're in Africa, you're going to have African privilege, right? So no matter where you go, you have that privilege. But you know, when you're living in 1700s uh, Germany, for instance, that's the culture. That's the people. You don't have this influx of you know people. I mean, obviously, you had. Uh, many Muslim invasions, like 500 Muslim invasions that tried to overrun Europe and enslave everyone. But in general, it was a white European culture, you know. And because it was in the colder climates, they tended to uh, invent things more quickly. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it, one of the primarily relates to the planning for the future, because if you have a sort of a mono climate or maybe a binary climate, then it doesn't require as much forward thinking. For example, if you're going to die in the winter, if you haven't stored any food, right. then you're going to start to develop the ability to plan ahead and to organize, and you're going to want to minimize labor. But uh, one point I just want to make those, the question is music theory racist doesn't say, it doesn't say directly is 
music theory an inherent prop so it's it's not saying a type of music theory it's saying music theory as a totality so that's an example of this totalization or essentialization that we have in these really bad arguments right so you thought what, what do you, you know music theory you're by posing the question the way that it's responded to the way that it fits into our contemporary culture what it actually means is music theory again a property uh inherent to european civilization which is by definition racist but as you mentioned one good thing you have intra and ultra okay so we have within a certain quote unquote race or a group, if you say, oh, the white race will look at the Italians, uh, at least in the United States, look at look at the how the British thought of the Irish, you know, I mean, so this is uh, look at the Roma people. OK, the gypsies, right. Gypsies, right. Yeah. yeah and, but, you know, gypsies are a lot more sort of more displaced from the overall culture. But um, and then look at it in India. OK, you have the Brahmins. Right. So you even have these. Uh, Brahmin bloodlines, they go back to the Rishis, right? The ancient Rishis, you have like Bharatwab's Rishi, you have, you know, Rishi, you have all these different Rishis that are still considered to actually be alive. You know, they're sort of transcendent beings, but they're, they can still, you know, come down from the mountains or whatever on our plane. But this goes well, back. You know, but, but, but I'm saying that they have their own, they would think that within the caste system, well, I was just going to mention, you know, India is set up in a caste system that's essentially based on racism. Well, it didn't used to be, um, but I mean, that's, of course, a long time ago, uh, you know, maybe eight, nine hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, whatever. But yeah, it's that you have. So the Brahmin, you know, is, you know, you have the Shudra, um, which is the, um, you know, at least in North India, right? It's a lower class. They're actually... You say they're the indigenous inhabitants and they're considered a lower caste and they're definitely you're not going to find the 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 brahmins at least traditionally you know marrying a shudra i mean like they could get you know they would even if you did you could get killed right i mean not now i'm sure but but it it does so so that's even within a, a given society or culture right and so um and then the last thing I think is funny about this question, before I actually start answering it, hopefully this is, this is just what I thought of today when I was thinking about it, is that the positive of the question negates it. So it's saying basically all music theory is racist, um, white is racist, yet white whites must have created all music theory. So we already have now included all of music theory as part of European culture, right? So we've, you know what I mean? So in a certain sense, you're defining yourself against something that you're now defining as being just inherent to this group. So that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, yeah. uh, so it's not really. Which is, which is ironically racist in itself by saying that the white European music theory is racist. One thing that gets me, just a quick non uh, or segue here, is that you have this constant relativist fallacy within the BLM and these different groups where, uh, only white people can be racist. They can't be racist because they're not white. And it's, you know, the thing is, under the under logic, what's true for one group can be true for another group. You know, if you're putting out all of this racist rhetoric against another group, that is racism by definition. It's, you know, what's true for one group is true for the other group. Yeah, but it's, no, it's another thing is we have mixing of categories. We have local and global categories. So, you know, yeah, all the definitions are pretty skewed. It's it's not, it's not an intellectually sound argument, um, and it's, but I mean, just the whole thing with the racism. But 
Um, you know, we just want to look at what music theory is. So first of all, um, and this is what I think is interesting, right? So this is, that was like sort of the preamble. We can go back to that, but uh, so I already said, no, what music theory isn't racist. Right. So, so basically I'm done. I can just, all right. Good to talk to you, Jan. <laughs> Great. I enjoyed it. Now <laughs> I ran out of things to say now, now but um, so, so the question of quote unquote racism to me is really a non-question because you can't, well, it's a question that can't be approached scientifically, right? So you could say, I could say, for example, is Joe a nice person? No, I think Joe is a jerk. No, Joe is a good person. This, that. So, you know, we have sort of general qualities and you have five people are going to come up with five different definitions of whoever Joe, Joe is, right? So, you know, we can't really answer it, but we can, first of all, what's behind that question? What are we being blocked from experiencing or learning about when we get caught up into these mesh works of just basically stupidity and fallacy that we're afraid to pull it apart. Oh, I'm afraid of that word. No, I'm not afraid of the word. Words are going to, word going to come and bite me. You know, that's basically, you know, you're, Oh, you're this, you know, I mean, you're, if someone says you're a bastard. Well, Hey, thank you. You know, I mean, you, well, <laughs> you may not say thank you, but you know, we have to just look don't, at the, just don't call me nice because that means foolish, stupid, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, one thing, though, to keep in mind is that definitions of words change society. Societies within those words made sense change. Words can be like, for example, the word gay. That's the word gay has been meant, you know, this kind of spontaneous, uh, you know, happiness. I feel, you know, gay, which is like a really nice word. I, I'm feeling gay. Yeah. So, and up and, like, up until gay. about the 60s, or early 70s, then it was. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for anyway? It was change to mean something totally different when in fact it does mean happy yeah and a very specific type of happiness right carefree just but like a naturally arising feeling so you know but anyways um so but music theory to me is very interesting right because music theory is a window really onto any culture right any society at least like say the uh, superior white society we're totally kidding, man. Oh my gosh. I just, I had to throw that in there. No, <laughs> no I'm totally kidding. You're going to upset the liberals, you know? No, no, I'm just making, I, I, I'm absolutely completely joking, but I think it's, it's funny. Cause I, I say that and, and it just, it's such a hot button thing. No, I, I'm going to say something that just saying how this is inherent to all systems of music. Um, <laughs> but it certainly doesn't entail a type of superiority. Um, you know, it entails a type of a system. Um, so, you know, music theory is related to three factors. One is perception. Um, one is cultural systems. And one is cosmology. All right. So any type of music theory is going in its origin and even in its sort of modern iterations is going to have evolved from these kind of three layers, right? Perception. What do we experience as sound? How, you know, how is music perceived? What is the listening environment? What is the, we have the physical properties of sound, right? This is an actually existing thing, right? It's not just that I'm inventing it. I mean, I, I could say, you know, like Jerry Garcia talks about and 
you know, laying the dead to rest about everybody in the future, you know, wearing these virtual like sex suits and they can have virtual sex and they can make up their own musical instruments and their own language just floating around in their heads, you know, in their, in our virtual like wombs. I mean, it's something that's really cool. Like, Oh, that, that seems really cool, man. I mean, no, it seems like that would suck, man. Jesus, you know, what if you, what if you made a really bad song and you couldn't stop it and it's trapped in your head? Well, that's, that's a solipsism, but actually with music, we're looking to the world outside of us, right? Um, and so just to start out with, um, you know, Western music theory, um, it, it comes out of the Greek, primarily Greek, Greco-Roman. We have some like Assyrian, you know, notation and things like that. But the most dominant strand of that is the Greco, um, you know, the, the, the Greek culture and, and really how they viewed music, right? And so... In Greek culture, music was viewed as one, an abstract science, a branch branch of mathematics whose elements could be computed. Okay, so it's an abstract science. It's related directly to the trivium and the quadrivium. Correct. And it has these inherent properties um, as a power, as a force that can shape both individuals and society. Okay, so music... And this is the, you know, the Greek music theory. This is one of the components as a force that can shape culture and society um, as an art. Um, that That is something that, you know, that could be enjoyed, right? As an aesthetic, as something that that adds beauty to life and experience, right? So if I, you know, if I throw on like um, Yanni, the guy who plays the Greek pan flute guy, if I'm really stressed out, I just throw on Yanni. <laughs> I remember... When Yanni, he came to India and they literally tore down this entire village. They just flattened the village to build a stage, you know, and it was supposed to be this like eco-friendly thing, you know, and they had all these billboards, but unfortunately they misspelled his name. So it came out as the word Yoni, which is actually <laughs> a Sanskrit word for vagina, the female organ. Right. So, you know, oh, and then he got searched for drugs in the airport. But anyways... So Yanni, but did they but, catch? Did he have anything? Uh, I don't think he did, you know. But you know, he may have, you know, paid off because you know he's he's got really cool hair. I mean, that guy—you <laughs> you cannot bust someone with hair that cool. Just there's, right, there's, yeah. Um, right. But um, so anyways, so this understanding of music, right? Um, and the important thing is seeing it as a science as well, right? So this helped kind of formulate the whole music theory that we developed in the West and. Um, we look at, uh, you know, Pythagoras is one of the first people to develop music theory based upon um, actual physical phenomena, right? Taking the monochord, dividing the strings into specific intervals. It's like getting... Donald Duck in Magic Mathematic Land. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, man, I haven't seen that for a long time, man. I probably, that's... Uh, you know, if, you, if you put it up on YouTube, they'll you know they'll uh, attack you real fast and shut down your channel. But that music theory and white supremacy video did show ten second clips of it. Yeah, well, they looks like that guy's. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've been, I've had even like I've people say my PayPal account isn't working. I think it's working, but I've, I just had such a pain in the butt uploading stuff to YouTube. I was like, well, forget it, forget YouTube. But um, but so we look at music one thing about music in greece though was considered to be a, a practice of refined citizens right it's sort of like a 
a an art it's not was not really considered to be a professionalized art at least initially right it was like highly skilled amateurs so it wasn't something that was necessarily done as like a trade it was seen as something maybe a little bit uh higher than that um but another important element of music in greek society is this connection with ethos or eth ethics right so music is a direct outflow of ethos um and, and so basically, you know, uh, Plato talks about how Greek culture is starting to decline because of the introduction of new uh, forms of music that and then you start to have the growth at the beginning of this time of the professional virtuosis, you know, like the, I don't know, like the, the Kenny G's, <laughs> the Kenny G's of Greece. <laughs> Kenny G, uh, that guy, like he had this, he can hold one note and walk, walk around the block, you know, and just playing that same note. He's probably, he's probably got like 10 people playing that note. He's faking it. But, <laughs> but, but Kenny G, according to Plato, would contribute to the vulgarity of modern music and start, start to show the beginnings of decline. And the fact is, yes, did Greece decline? Yes, they did, um, obviously. And, um, and we've, I mean, you know, you and I have done so many shows showing the decline of our culture through music as well. And, you know, just since you and I did the uh, Music Mind Control Psychobiology series, what, five years ago now, I mean, look how far things have declined just in the last five years. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I've actually, I was doing stuff like watching the music. And I, in fact, maybe I can go into that at some point. Um, if you look at the really popular music and, and you know, some of these different genres, <laughs> especially some of the the rap and this kind of thing, especially, you know, geared towards younger kids, um, you can really see this this process. And it's actually beginning initially in the music. And then it starts to manifest in the physical world. It may take one year. It may take two years. It may take six months. But eventually, at least according to Plato and uh, you know, ancient China and, and other many others, um, including, you know, Western scholars or, you know, philosophers that, that it that does have an effect. And, and I think, you know, we can trace that. It's just that putting myself through listening to some of that music in depth, like, you know, I don't know, I, st I started to get tattoos all over my body, you know, body piercing. Well, I Is see that, that one right, you know, on your neck there and you got that FU tattooed on your forehead there, you know. Yeah, that would be great. That would he <laughs> tattoo F you on your forehead. I actually right? I I met this guy. He was a super cool guy. <clears throat> but he had live free or die tattooed on the back of his head and F you and the full thing tattooed on the front of his head. <laughs> it's a great way. I mean, it's just like no, I mean that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, if if you're just gonna live that way all the time, you know, like there you go. Well, I yeah. think I think he was like from a rough neighborhood, so trying to put out a a certain image to scare people off, you know, which probably worked for most of them. Every time I'd see him, he'd be like, "Yawn, bro, hug." You know, it was like, you know, did that just happen? You know, it was just such a cognitive uh, disconnect with his appearance and his behavior. Should have gotten henna tattoo, man. You can always wash that off, right? Henna <laughs> <laughs> tattoo, uh, but um. But, but so anyways, you know, so, you know, we look at music was seen for Plato as being one of the central aspects of shaping the youth. Right. And you're actually building your culture from the youth. Right. So the education 
Um, it's even possible, as we see in our time, right? By changing the education, you can vastly transform a society almost right underneath people's noses, yet it, it does, obviously, it's going to take time. It probably takes uh, 20 years or so. Right. Well, Huxley said it would take, what, three generations or so to completely change a whole society and culture? Well, you know, it almost didn't, though. I mean, there's there's still residual elements that haven't been changed, but it's, um, you know, you can see, though, changes. I guess what you can see is a an exponential range of how rapidly things can be deployed. And the agenda or the, the end goal has not changed, um, you know, in that process, but you can see all these different steps and now you can see how much faster, right, this can be employed. But anyways, uh, back to Plato. So, so for Plato, um, he said to have a ba balanced human being, right, was gymnastics and music. So gymnastics, right, in, in having that physical strength, coordination, the challenge to have a healthy body. Um, and he said he believed that music without that physical element, which is a rigorous, right? Anyone done, like I used to do gymnastics. I didn't just throw that in there because I did gymnastics, by the way. But, <laughs> but it's what Plato said. But, you know, gymnastics, man, it's, it's hard, right? It's not easy if you've ever done some of that stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I do that now. I, <laughs> I wish. I was in the Y Circus as a kid doing uh, cradle hanging from the ceiling and riding giraffe unicycles. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing about it, though, is see, it's kind of an individual pursuit, right? So you're doing that stuff with, you know, whether it's the pommel horse, or, you know, you're doing flips, but it's still, you're still doing that within your own self, right? So it's not, it's different from, a, very different from a team sport, right? Okay. But, um, so yeah, without music, um, a music without gymnastics, without physical rigorous and in, in developing physical activity, right? Not just like breaking rocks on the chain gang or whatever, um, will dissolve a man's spirit and just physical activity without the refining quality of the higher of higher music would foster violent savagery and a bestial nature in man, foster a bestial nature of violence, rage, um, and actually move, people closer to to the animal level um and so you know the ethos which is the moral and character the overall ethos right the what's the ethos of america right now right we can look at the ethos of america but it determines the nature and the moral character again according to plato of the people and so it must be regulated by the state it's too powerful to be left in the hands of the virtuosi, you know, that are, you know, great getting mass audiences. I mean, maybe there's someone else I could say, I don't know, Buckethead, <laughs> Kenny G and Buckethead. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, but that, that, that would be kind Who, of, a who's that guy that used to throw feces on stage? The punker. What was his name? Oh yeah. I, I, you know, I always blank. We, out we talked guy. about him in our series a few times. Yeah, no, that guy was the, that guy was really, sort of a tragic story because he completely he became punk rock right he oh, became yeah. gg allen gg allen became yeah. the essence the end of punk rock and the weird thing about gg allen he was totally normal right normal guy and then his br elder brother and his buddies playing a joke dosed him with a bunch of lsd when he was like in high school like 16 17 years old he never he never came back to normal so he basically launched off from that. Um, but that also shows that influence, right, of 
the music, um, <laughs> how that influences you. And, um, you know, I, I won't get too much, you know, deep into this, but eth ethos is very important. So, and the fact was that music though, um, well, we'll get into that in a second, but with the different modes, right? Hey, we have these different scales. Hey, even I have a keyboard. I can play notes on a keyboard. I'm not a fraud. Look, here's a C major. No. <laughs> here's a C major chord. Look, look, I'm not a fraud. I can play a C major chord. No, just kidding. That wasn't that funny. I mean, if that, if I could just play a C major chord and they're like, he can't really play. But anyways, um, the fact is that exposure to a specific scale or a type of music the, the greater the degree of exposure, again, according to Plato, would have the greatest influence on the person. So if you hear like a song once or twice, it's not going to influence you that much. But if you start hearing it day and night, all the time, listening to it when you go to sleep, hearing it. you know, This the, is the Casey Kasin with America's Top 40, where we repeat the top songs day in and day out to get you to think they're the top songs. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyways, yeah. So um, you know, we go into this idea of music theory. So again, it's not just one aspect of music, right? I mean, it's you know, in our modern music theory, which we're you know, if we look at say from the you know nineteenth century um, on, especially you know mid late nineteenth century, we have a lot more of an emphasis on this scientific aspect of it right so we're not going to talk about say music of the spheres right and so this was uh part of i mentioned cosmology right as being one of the parts of music theory so the cosmology right is that all the intervals or distances between the different planets are represent intervals right a musical note like a, a type of consonance or dissonance a specific uh sound just like on the monochord right so and that also ties into the human spine and, you know, the human body, um, the different humors or the elements of the body. Um, so so we see it's tiling the local cosmology and the universal cosmology, right? Right there in in uh, in Greek music, music theory. Um, so so that so now we'll get we'll get a little, I'll, I'll just kind of stop there with that because I had a, a bunch of references. But, I'll, it, you know, it's interesting. You want to go into them or you just want to skip over them? Um, well, I could maybe, you know, we'll see. I'll, I'll come back to it. It's just more detailed just about how it actually works, just kind of going over the, the music theory of the Middle Ages, you know, Boethius, um, you know, actually developed at Notre Dame. So modern, really modern music theory came from the Greeks, kind of dissipated, and then starting from the beginning, the Notre Dame Cathedral, and that is actually where the real development of, of modern music or sort of Western um music uh, developed and um so now just to put that aside and just let's look at another example of a different culture okay that's not a inherently racist culture um let's say like um white people oh no i'm just kidding uh no um we, let's look at say uh uh indian music theory so in india um you have music theory based on um, you have these derivations of different notes. Um, you have types of scales and you have classifications of melodies known as ragas that tie into different types of emotions. <laughs> but in the Indian music theory, which is still kind of there today, 
Um, this ragas or these scales also tie into the human body as it goes through the, the diurnal cycle of day and night, right? Right. So your body and mind changes as you're on the earth, as your earth's relative position is to the sun, you know, et cetera, or during different seasons. So this, um, you know, I, this theory of music is actually coming right out of nature. Um, and we still have, you know, the derivations of the different sounds and pitches, but it has this other aspect, which is the cosmology of the uh, original sound, which is the Nad Brahma. So you say like the beginning, the original vibration, right? That starts all the whole manifestation into physical matter eventually. Um, so music is actually related to this vibratory principle that informs everything. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's part of it. And then there's like, you know, you can go where they have, you know, visualizations of different, you know, deities or, you know, sort of um, visualizing certain personifications of a, of a musical form and drawing that from this mind space, right? So here we have a definition of consciousness where there's a separate element of mind, um, manas, that's actually even pre the verbal learning, right? Is not really in the brain. It's sort of beyond the brain, um, it could be perceived of in the brain, but it's sort of beyond that. <clears throat> but that's another example of music theory. So Indian music has music theory. Um, we can look at, you know, Balinese music. They also have music theory. Um, they have a, 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 a different tonal range. They have different types of scales. Um, but their music is very much tied into the cyclical progression, um, the cyclical pro progression of time. And they have very different notes, though. So, but it's still based on principles because you have to have this, you, you're actually manifesting something physically, you need a physical object. So you have to, for example, in Bali, you have to produce a, a gong that's going to give a specific pitch, right? So, you know, we see that, if, so with already we're back to the fact, well, music theory, how is that racist? Um, because other cultures have music theory. So are you saying that these other cultures, music theory, is it somehow different? Is it not valid? I don't know. Um, so that's just, you know, one aspect, you know, we look at that is that how do we fit music into society? How do we analyze it and measure it and understand it, um, in a, in a scientific and a mathematical way and an aesthetic way in a way that ties into our relationship with nature that ties into how we perceive the world that ties into how our perceptions of the world are shaped and how we allow those perceptions to be shaped. Right. So there is a level of where we allow ourselves to be exposed to things that may have very harmful effects um, or may have very beneficial effects or may not have any effect at all. It may just be just plain old boring, right? Like elevator music. Or maybe that's the worst of everything. It's all because of Muzak, you know. It was all hidden, the hidden Muzak tapes, you know. Maybe, you know, who knows? Um so, Jan, you can chime in there, and I'll go to the next point. You know, speaking of the worst music, what is, just on a segue here, what do you think is the worst mu music, in your opinion? Have we ever discussed the worst music? I mean, it it really depends on how you define it. Hippies sitting around playing dindridoos and, and drums? <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm just giving always... crap. You no, know, it's always when um, 
when the guy with the, the cases, he's got like three didgeridoos and like road cases, you know that your your jam session is just going out, going to hell. The the didge guy shows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it, there's certain things that, you know, that, that are really bad, but I find them, you know, if they're just bad in a, kind of an honest way, I, I can find it entertaining, right? It's just like... Just, just a really terrible version of a song or something. It can be kind of entertaining, right? You get a little bit of a, a little bit of schlock or something. It's, it, it's actually kind of funny, right? But, I mean, the worst music. I mean, it depends on how you define it, right? I mean, worst music in what in terms of neurophysiological effects. The worst music in terms of just what I just don't like. Uh, you know, the worst music. Um, you know, because Some, somebody says uh, you think uh, Alice Cooper is the worst music. <laughs> I mean. Overly produced pop music that doesn't even have camp value. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's there's stuff that is actually like I think is actually really harmful, right? Um, Which so, we discussed in our in our shows, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. rap music and kids trying to do homework. That's a big no no. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it would just kind of depend. I mean. You know, the one thing is that if you look at it objectively or sort of scientifically, you know, you can actually listen to music. If you ever stuck somewhere, you just have to hear something. You can kind of take it apart and see, like, what are they doing? How is this put together? Why are they playing this? You know, so it kind of gives us a, a sort of a, a sense of like stepping back from it. But uh, I mean, Alice Cooper, I mean, school's out. I just heard that song again and it just brought a tear to my eye. Forever. Yeah. You know, you're blowing up the school. That, that's a little. That's a little foreshadowing, right? Right. Like, well, yeah. School's been blown to pieces. Well, hasn't he made a total about face or something? Isn't he like a Christian preacher now? Yeah, Who knows, man. Yeah, these guys. It's like who's that guy? Um, uh, General Buck Naked. You know, who used to be a cannibal. No. He's a preacher. Yeah. General Buck Naked. Never heard of that one. Yeah, he's in Liberia. Was in Liberia, so he ran this like cannibal corpse of like i mean corpse meaning like a crps like a like a you know like his mostly kids right and they would you know and yeah it was pretty <laughs> so he's like he's all good now though so but i guess he's saved so you know whatever but uh you know yeah he's uh he became a devout christian he's uh being a preacher now alice cooper wow yeah it's uh well he you know the thing is though that like you know, Alice Cooper, you can see, see, I, I got, I, you know, you've got one thing in terms of worst, right? Like one thing that he did, which if you look at some of the stuff, which I think is very important in terms of how this overall conditioning system works is by programming, you know, types of response patterns into people um, in sort of a wide array <laughs> so you can impact a variety of people. And, and when like Alice Cooper did stuff with the Muppets, you know, like welcome to my nightmare and stuff like that. It's actually pretty scary. You know I mean? That could like traumatize a little kid, you know? So there's stuff like promoting Alice Cooper to little kids. That's where, or how about Kiss, right? Kiss used to have their own, um, if you could play a clip from it, they, uh, they used to have their own like sitcom. <laughs> they had, Kiss had a sitcom where they were like. I, I, don't, I don't have anything queued up. Do you know? Uh, let me see here. They used to like, they were, like, they were flying around in like spaceships or something. <laughs> I think it's just got, got awful, but I mean, <clears throat> here, let me see if I can not seeing anything pop up. 
watch, you know, they'll ding the episode as soon as we show anything. You can just play it silently. Oh, wait. Oh, Zurich full concert. Yeah, they look like satanic clowns, actually. Yeah. But, I mean, this is being promoted to like four, five, six, seven-year-old kids. You know? And and so you see that with a lot of this stuff. You see the same thing with, you know, um, you know, um, you know what? It's not, man, I wonder if they just scrub that because it's, it's like, it's kind of a combination of like, uh, you know, a really bad version of like Buck Rogers in the 21st century, which is also a really bad show. <laughs> I just saw that. I just saw that come across in a meme today. I hadn't thought of Buck Rogers in ages. It's just a horrible show. And the Kiss show was like a thousand times worse than that. So they could have just wiped it off the internet. But, but anyways, um, so worst music, you know, I mean, there's stuff that I just don't listen to. I mean, I, 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 I don't, you know, I, there's, you know, I, I, I try to not listen to a lot of stuff. There's probably a lot of good music that I'm not listening to, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, um, well, you know, since we've done all of these shows, uh, you know, I've totally just about cut all the pop music out of my life. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's nauseating to listen to it anymore. You ruined me for music, Hans. Somebody mentioned our secret history of FM radio. I totally forgot about that one. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Now, now there's a lot of... Um, the thing is that, you know, not every pop song is bad. There's some songs that are good. There's songs that, you know, you know, you have to remember, too, that there's the associational level, right? Right. You know, they're playing our song, Jan. They're playing our song. I wonder what that would be. I don't know, Jan. Oh my God, that, that's getting a little too man. Was it called man, bro? No, bro, bro love, man, bro, bro love, right. man, oh, man, man, bro. Oops, yeah, that sounds like something else. Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble now. Now, but um, the uh, you know, maybe the theme from Love Story or like uh, Beyonce, I don't know, but uh, basically, you know, there's different things, you know, it, it's when one thing is that you can people can be locked into patterns in their life and they're really linked with types of music right so you know maybe music is not that bad per se but it's also when you have this thing of where you can just listen to pre-recorded music over and over again right so you can just keep reliving that that little section of time that's a very new thing i mean look at human beings right so how long let's say not until let's say by you know, the LP advent of the LP record until records were really widely disseminated, you know, by say the 1950s, 60s in that era, you know, it wasn't something that everybody had. They could just, you know, you could listen to your little scratchy 33, but you're not going to mistake that or your 78 RPM. It's only two or three minutes long, right? You're not going to mistake that for a live performance or you're not going to have to look, you know, it's not going to be as much interaction, right? In the community. I was just going to play some Chris Mayville there. <laughs> that Huxley song, remember that? Yeah, that used to be your theme, so maybe that's our song. Yeah, there thinking. you go. Anyway, uh, we'll get back on topic here. Sorry about that. But uh, but anyway, so back to my just little answer to that question, and we can go on to something else. But um, so, what is specific about Western music theory, right? What is specifically important about it? 
Um, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole development through like, basically we have like different types of plain chant and liturgical, the Catholic church, you know, being very important to developing these different liturgies and writing of counterpoint, um, stuff like that. But one of the things unique to Western music is really the, the advanced, uh, development of harmony. Okay. So harmony is where, you know, you're stacking up chords, right? You're creating chords and then you're being able to move these chords and create very complex patterns of these sort of wavefront, right? You're you're merging notes together and developing a whole theory of chords. Um, and it's not that chords are unique to Western music, but the development of, of harmony to the extent it has been developed is, is definitely unique to Western music. And you could say music theory. So there, therefore you have that sort of, uh, you know, relation, okay, you're gonna say tonal harmony or, you know, types of songs with chords and melodies and things like that is, you know, is developed to its greatest extent in Western music. Um, another thing is the theory of notation. So there's a very, very advanced, completely unique to Western music and Western music theory is a system of notation. So nothing uh, like that exists, right? Or had exist um, to that, to the level of detail and to the level of complexity and the range you know, to write a symphony, right? So you could have ensembles, right? You can have, say, for example, um, they're called heterophonic, where you have the same melody played in different ways. You can have sort of call and response, things like that. But they're still, generally speaking, based on a single melodic line. With harmony, you can suddenly have, you know, massive complexity, introduce such a huge range of instruments and have 100, 200 people playing the same thing at the same time, and not playing the same part, right? I mean, so it's a major, that's a major, um, um, you know, uh, development of um, uh, of Western music. Um, and then, you know, with music theory, there's certain rules, right? So certain things develop over time of like, for example, uh, counterpoint, which is where you have two, two or more melodic lines going in different directions. How do you write? What kind of things, what, what are the, some of the rules? Like, you know, parallel fists or this or that, you know, there's certain rules. Well, part of that is how that it sounds good, right? That's how that developed. But actually, you can look scientifically if you look at a, a frequency a spectral analysis of a single note, right? There's so many different harmonic overtones. So we hear a single note, we're actually hearing a really complex, <coughs> excuse me, phenomena, and our brains make it sound like one sound, but actually, there's many different parts, right? Different uh, frequencies that are all being sounded together. And, and so understanding that allows to make very, very complex, um, you know, musical structures, but also informs, right, that whole Western harmony um, and things like that. So, but one of the aspects of Western sort of music theory as it relates to, say, classical music is, you know, a lot of different, very specific forms, like types like a rondo, like a sonata, a symphony, you know, different types of forms that are like a shared formal structure that different composers can develop in their own way, but it still has a lot of sort of inherent boundaries and rules. So that may be another aspect that's perhaps racist, makes music theory racist. So, but um, basically, you know, just to, to end up here, I mean, if we look at it as being racist or not, I mean, the fact is that where things become so specialized, right, when people don't really have sort of a basic grasp of just basic understanding of some of the elements of music, like you know, or art, right? Art education, having to go through, 
you know, understand visual art, having to understand literature, or at least being exposed to it, um, that's also being taken away, right? So that when you don't have exposure to difficult music or difficult writing or writing that's a value or, you know, art that, that has a lot of different levels to it that may seem boring when you're 10 years old, but maybe when you're like 90 years old, you're like, man, I love that. You know, if you still, if you're not blind at that point, right? <laughs> but um, basically, so I, I think that the question is not only a bad question, but it's also, it's idiotic because you need to specify what you think is racist. And then you really have to go, what are you talking about the development of tonal harmony? <laughs> Does that mean that other people, if you find Cuba, or if you look at, you know, uh, music in Brazil that uses harmonic chord progressions, are they racist because they're using European chord progressions um, or not, right? Or does it, is it no longer racist when someone else, you know, starts developing it within their own indigenous culture? So it's a stupid question, um, but it's important to ask it and understand like what what's behind this and what's behind it, as I said, is really a breakdown of the essences, the, the basic boundaries that we have in our culture and our society, basic types of ethos or acting or ethics, like what's wrong, what's right, like situational ethics, you know, you know, you can basically do anything when you get into situational ethics, you know, you can justify, well, I had a headache, so I just thought about burning that building down. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, Andy Destruction in the uh, on the backup channel. Thanks for the uh, super chat, Andy. The backup channel showing up the, uh, the primary channel tonight. Uh, he says, Hans, you still owe him a copy of the new book, brother. And he says, is all modern rock music weaponized? Seems like the indie punk bands of the late 70s, early 80s started off with legit intent. And by the 80s, 90s, it was turned into left propaganda. And then he says, pardon his screen name. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, he goes on, mention the dead Kennedys, et cetera. Okay. And, hey, you know, it, go ahead. Let me, um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to actually, I'll send it to you. I'm going to send an email address. You can pass on to him. Hey, yeah. Him. Andy, would you send me an email? Contact at logosmedia.com. Because yeah, yeah. I, I have honestly, like, I've had issues with like not getting emails and stuff from people. And I don't know if, uh, we're all sitting at tonight. Yeah, so I'll have, to, I'll have to take care of that. And so this is my new email here, or not relatively new. And so, yeah, I just used that. I just I just sent that to you. You can just forward it to him. But um, so the question is, well, you know, punk rock actually, you know. You're welcome, it, Andy. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, so um, the, uh, the punk rock, you know, to be honest, if you start looking into it, um, it did, you know, I mean, like for myself and stuff, whatever, I mean, I thought it was, pretty cool thing it seemed like it was really it's connected with like skate i mean obviously this is not oh yeah like i had the long you know skater bangs and all when i was like 15 yeah. riding around listening to dk and stuff yeah suicidal like, tendencies <laughs> great name right i'm not crazy yeah, institutionalized it, you're not crazy institutionalized anyway yeah. <laughs> uh, but um if you do see that you know, first of all, you know, there is a shaping of lines of development, right? So, I mean, for example, I mean, just anything, just even as a professional thing, well, you know, if somebody's like, well, I can really, you know, work hard and, you know, say like, um, 
like it used to be like say a, a you know if you're doing say like cabaret music or something like that you have to learn a whole bunch of songs right you got to learn a lot you got to be pretty competent i mean you're not necessarily going to be playing like you know beethoven but you know you're still going to have to be have a pretty high level of music to play all the the parts <laughs> read the music da 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 right um with rock you have a, you know you have a simplification right you're going back to the folk music ish thing but then it's being put apart as this commercial music right um and so obviously I'm, I'm kind of fast forwarding um but the punk rock you know it started out like say the new york dolls um you could even say a little bit with velvet underground a bit earlier um it's sort of like a precursor um and there's a few other bands you know like that but um you know like the garage rock and stuff like that you know even like link ray rumble the first guy to use electric you know distorted guitar the song rumble right so you could say that sort of an antecedent of the punk rock um and so but the fact is that there's a feeling attached to it right which is just kind of jamming out right you could hear songs that kind of sounded like that um and then it kind of started to become an actual genre you know again with the new york dolls you know when traveling to the united states and looking for some new type of thing having the boutique you know malcolm mclaren the sex boutique right and really promoting the sex pistols so it was definitely a it was it was intended you could describe it as i mean you know you talk about a happening right so if you look at the art the art world like avant-garde art you know starting in the early 60s like let's have a happening you know let's have they had stuff like this right so you have like five people on stage like having sex that's a happening seriously they had stuff like that and that's called like a or just you know a bunch of people go outside wearing masks and like jump around and make noises or something that's a happening, right? So you're doing an artwork that sort of interjects itself into the social realm, okay? And so, um, and that's actually how a lot of these protests that are going on now are actually sort of under the designation of like avant-garde protest art. That's why certain activities are not really being prosecuted, or at least that's one of the justifications, right? So it goes into this, you know, performance art, da-da-da. So anyways, so the Sex Pistols, you know, were a top kind of a top-down phenomena, right? You can look um, into how they were shaped. You know, um, now the other guys in the band, you know, Johnny Rotten, you know, probably was the most uh, highly intellectual uh, of the group. But you know, what happened to the rest of the people in the band? I mean, what happened to the Ramones? I mean, a lot of the the people in the punk music scene, they they didn't live very long, right? It was right, punk. yeah. It was, it really. <clears throat> Well, so, we should we should mention you know Ian Copeland, uh, who's my you know Miles Copeland Jr. Uh, co-founded the CIA, and Ian Copeland was the uh, founder of uh, you know he he was the guy that promoted the uh, new wave uh, movement and alternative music. His brother Stuart Copeland is right there, uh, you know, uh, Stuart, or Miles Copeland the third promoted. Uh, uh, Oingo Boingo, of course, the police, you know, he founded uh, FBI talent agency and IRS records. But uh, and then, of course, uh, Lana Loktef uh, worked for Miles Copeland, who was, you know, that's one step from the uh, creation of the CIA right there. But uh, anyway, little segue right there. But I uh, just wanted to mention that because, you know, Ian and Miles Copeland and Stuart Copeland, though, they were all part of the promotion of that whole scene on to the masses at large via, you know, their dad, who was a co-founder of the CIA. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, well, before I go into that a little bit more, I do want to say, well, 
there is there was something kind of a DIY thing, right, with the 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 punk movement, at least on a local level, that you know could have been kind of fun and maybe you know I think some you know there's some kind of a little bit of fun in that scene and there's not necessarily that's not necessarily bad, but if you in fact it could be it could be a cool thing, right? If you're 15 years old and you're playing as long as you don't stage dive and no one catches you, right? And that's <clears throat> Then that that would suck, but but um, but you know, I, I, you know, before I get back into the history stuff, you know, one thing though I started to notice in it started seeing there was a element of cruelty starting to come into some of these punk shows, right? You do have some violence, you have some stuff, which you know you could maybe say you have at the sock hop, you know, I don't know, Shanana or whatever. <laughs> Shanana, so, wow, there's taking me back to my early uh what i was like three or four years old when i remember that on tv yeah yeah but but just to you know going back into it you know you know so it is connected with this larger shift of the entire culture from the if you look at the larger you know patterns of you know trauma of cultural destabilization of generational war of um, you know ethnic and racial strife, et cetera, all these kind of percolating around the same times, um, and then which we've talked about in great detail. You look at Kennedy's assassination. You look at you know the summer of love. We can change the world, and suddenly you go from you know really good clean LSD to to uh, <laughs> obviously putting out STP, which can cause permanent psychosis. I mean, it seems like a a hellish drug, and then that goes into what? It goes into hard drugs, right? Right. Hard drugs heroin um you know lewds quaaludes well, quaaludes yeah. I don't know. well and i've exposed all of the whole history of that in my uh oh spies and academic clothing article i just read that the other day for the first time in a couple of years it was pretty good if i don't mind saying so myself <laughs> very long I mean, I, i've never i don't even really know what a quaalude is but supposedly if you took a quaalude and went to uh, a tangerine dream show for these like synth bands like all synth it was supposed to be like you know you know, reaching heaven or something, but, uh, you know, but anyways, you have a lot of the, you know, you have the whole fallout from that shit, but it's also a shattering of this collective belief, right? So what's there to take the place? Oh, you have this really disaffected, totally nihilistic type of music, right? So on one element of society, you have the whole self-help movement, just about me, you know, you have all these broken families, oh, I got to find myself, you know, I'm just going to leave my my, you know, my wife and kids behind and, you know, go out and, you know, raise goats on a commune and make a goat cheese or something or, yeah, you know, or, or, or go to Burning Man or something stupid. Yeah. I don't know why I thought of goat cheese. Probably <laughs> <laughs> I, I finished the goat cheese and I got in trouble. So that is, that's, that's a non uh, but, that, that sounds like a song. I finished the goat cheese and got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> No double entendres there, please, man. <laughs> oh, um, man. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so long-winded answer. But, you know, there's – you can look at – fundamentally, you look – you know, at least by having a wider frame of music theory, right, then you say, well, th the philosophical orientation of this music is important. So it may not be a lot that's involved in terms of the the, the chords, maybe like three or four chords, you know. I, I could – Oh, my guitar's in the other room. I could play some like uh, Sex Pistol songs or play uh, New York Dolls or something. But you have this whole thing, this really gritty, you know, club scene, but also this like sticking safety pins in your, you know, in your cheek, this kind of self-harm. Um, and then we mentioned Gigi Allen, right? So 
what you know, not in a locally, yeah, sure, sure, it could have been fun and not necessarily going to be a harmful thing. But what did it lay? You know, what was it is brought in as a reaction, right? Other things could have been promoted that would have not, you know, would not have been part of the same trajectory, right? You don't have to go into nihilism and, you know, for you, everything is not rock music. You don't have to go into nihilistic, more nihilistic rock music after your, you know, your hippie icons have feet of clay and you find out Mick Jagger, you know, is a Satanist, man, that was hard for me. Mick, well, yeah, no. you know, I got into a conversation with a woman, I forget her name now, on the uh, Dave McGowan uh, forum on uh, f Facebook the other day, and she just, you know, couldn't believe that uh, that the Stones and Mick Jagger and all were Satanists. I'm like, well, here's our series and all exposing all that. Well, I'm not going to believe they're Satanist unless they say they're Satanist. And it's like, well, you know, you, you understand Satanism through the behavior that they're that they're doing, they don't just go out and say, "Hey, I'm a Satanist," you know, because that ruins the the whole thing of what they're doing, the spell or whatever that they're casting, and how they're manipulating people, you know. So uh, it's it's having an understanding of what the Satanism is and how they're using it through music that I think you and I over the last decade have done a pretty good job of exposing. Yeah, and what's interesting, you know. And just uh, going back to that, and I don't know if we can show the images, but if you look at the Beatles albums and the Rolling Stones, they had an album come out right after that, and they would just kind of mirror it, but it was sort of in a darker way. And so, you know, the classic example is uh, their, um, uh, you know, Sgt. Pepper's and their Satanic Majesty's Request. So that was the direct, it came out right after that other album. And it's, it even had, you know, and there's a lot of similarities, but they're sort of, in fact, of course, they're, they go together, right? But the you know the Beatles were seen as the the good kids, and the Stones were the bad kids. Even though the Stones, you know, yeah, went to like they were both. I you know I can't stand listening to uh, any of it anymore. You know, there's this. Uh, I'm showing somebody's post from uh, eBay here. That's what came up. But uh, uh, so there's that, and then of course you've got. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Sergeant Peppers, we've got right here, and of course you've got the whole breakdown. You know, this is who's on the cover of Sergeant Peppers: Karl Marx. You've got uh, Alistair Crowley, the Satanist. You've got Aldous Huxley, the head of MK Ultra, on there. You know, all these these people that were just doing, uh, you know, crappy stuff. I guess I don't have the uh, color uh, one in there. I thought I did. Anyway, sorry about that, folks. But uh, at least you can see what it looks like. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it is definitely a playoff of each other. And so they are, they are mirroring each other, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, to me, the, both the Beatles and, uh, the Stones were equally satanic. The Beatles maybe even more so. And of course the Beatles were working directly with Leary and MK Ultra, as I'm sure that, you know, the, the Stones were as well. And then the Stones did that whole Altamont thing and Leary was there. So they're both working with Leary and MK Ultra. And uh, you had uh, George Lucas that was there filming that whole thing as well. So which anybody who wants to know all of that stuff, go back and see all of Hans and my older stuff. Watch every single show. All how many hours would that be? Like 90 hours worth of stuff. Watch it all. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, shut up. I don't want to hear you guys ever again after the end of that. But no, uh, no way, Jan. They're going to hear us again and again. Yeah, that's true. They will actually. You're right. Yeah.
and and there's probably quite a few people in the audience who have heard every episode, but uh, it's about uh, 7.30 now, and uh, I've got uh, Andrew's uh, email, which I will uh, forward to you, and so you guys can touch base on the book and whatnot, and... Uh, and you could also, I just sent that a sacred, I sent that other email address to you in the chat. You can just give him that one also. Oh, on the chat here. I didn't even see that. I oh. did a private chat. Yeah. 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 Great. So, well, if I, do you want me to show it on here? Cause everybody will see it. Um, no, no, no. Did okay. you just get it? Yeah. You shouldn't send it here then. Cause it'll just go out to everybody. Oh, it said, it said private, but okay. Yeah. But no, no. I mean, I think it, now it, since it, you, now since you sent that, the uh, bottom bar won't disappear. So, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so I will contact him and then what email address do you want people to have to reach out to you? Well, it should, you know, just the other one should work, but if it doesn't work, then, um, then when I what was the you, old one? Just throw this on hotmail.com. All right. And, uh, let's see next week. I have Steve Jones coming back on. We're going to have a really epic show about, what caused World War II and uh, what caused the Nazi uprising and all of that stuff. Some very interesting stuff that he's been sitting on for a while. So it's going to uh, be quite epic. And, of course, Hans, thanks so much for tonight and having another epic episode uh, with me here. Uh, go to logosmedia.com. Please support the show. Patreon. There is a cash app or something down there. Bitcoin you can donate through. Um, please hit the like and subscribe, everybody. Thanks so much for your time. Hans, thank you so much. Do you have anything you want to throw in before we wrap it up here? Yeah, well, last thing just to say here is that, um, you know, music, I think it's a time. Maybe we can talk about this at some point in the future. But to really actually use music as a way, as sort of a protective mechanism and as a way to get through some of the stuff that's going on and some of the stuff that may be unfolding, right? So this is So where, invert their stuff, basically. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Okay. Yeah, just play just play everything backwards. <laughs> <laughs> play everything backwards really loud. Yeah, yeah, there you go. No, but, it, you know, this is where, you know, they, I think there is some degree of protection or whatever you want to call it um, because, you know, we are, we are, we are made of, electromagnetic resonances and frequencies that's really what we are and that's what is being the new uh you know the spacex you know where it's just going to be blasting the whole ionosphere is really going to block us or i guess the attempted thing is to block us from the whole our whole connection with the you know the the earth itself what and, if i just put on one of uh julian huxley's tinfoil hats wouldn't that be I, I, I don't know, man. You could, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, but, but anyways, it's, it's a time I think that this to really to connect as, as people that aren't necessarily, you know, sucked into the, uh, the vortex. And, and, and I think that, you know, music can be, can be a very valuable method to um, even just understanding some of these vibrations and frequencies and things like that. There are, I think there are some tools that are there. Um, so, we talk about that perhaps in the future. And um, yeah, it was a pleasure being here, Jan. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun and sort of a, you know, I just answered that, that one off topic. So obviously I could go into it more, but I stand by my answer. <laughs> but All right. Uh, well, we'll have to get you on uh, again soon. There's a couple of shows I got lined up. You know, uh, 
Let's see. So end of October, I think October 28th or 29th, which you've done uh, a number of times for the uh, for the anniversary show. That will be the 12th anniversary of the show, if you can believe that. So you did last year for the 11th anniversary. This will be the 12th. And then we did the uh, War of the Worlds for what was that, number eight or nine, and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe I'll have you back around then if you're up for it. Sounds good. Yeah. So. Oh, somebody just posted work up a Halloween show. There we go. Thanks, Earl, for the original idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> so, all right, guys, everyone, thanks so much for the uh, participation. Have a good night. Uh, be safe out there. Things are a little bit crazy. And.